Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? Kingswood U.S. CEO and industry veteran Derek Bruton invites his guests to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. The guest list represents a who's who of the financial services industry. Derek's goal is to provide you with insight into how he and other leaders think about today's challenges and plan for future success. And now, let's see whether or not today's guest can hold Derek's attention. Hello, everyone. We've got a special show today, uh, a different show for all of you. Uh, two, our two guests, Chris Dudley and Detlef Schrempf, who played a combined 32 seasons in the NBA and who made the transition from entertaining people on the court to now working with families and individuals to preserve and, and grow their life savings. Uh, they're my two guests today, and I can't tell you how excited I am to have them on the show. Uh, we always hear in our business, in our industry, financial services, great, wonderful stories about people whose flight path to this industry didn't exactly go through the more traditional routes, like working at a wirehouse or, or an accounting firm, or maybe from the legal background. Instead, uh, you know, maybe wealth management was a second career from, for, for this advisor. And I've, I've seen and worked with several of these second career advisors over time. They've all been really successful, and they bring a different perspective to wealth management. And these two guys uh, on the show today came from way outside the wealth management industry, making the transition from professional sports and have also found great success again in their lives and they're making a difference in, in people's lives as well. So, and perhaps you're sitting there listening to this podcast and you have no interest in pro basketball or maybe professional sports at all but I know you still value and understand the importance of teamwork, hard work, per perseverance, and how success is, is nece isn't necessarily defined by, uh, by experience, but by the willingness to adapt and grow. And so there's a lot to learn from the lives of, two of, these, of these two guys, even if you don't care about basketball. I personally care a lot about basketball because I grew up playing it as well. And I, I will say, starting out, to the best of my knowledge, there's no Oscars or Emmys for podcasts. I don't think there's any award shows out there yet right now. Uh, but if there were, this show would definitely win the award for the highest average height of the participants on this show. Uh, between the three of us, uh, we average 6'10". So eat your heart out, Joe Rogan. We definitely got you on that. Uh, and, and Dad, I think you're the shortest at 6'9", so you'd have to bring the ball up the court here as, <laughs> as, as our only point guard. I don't think Chris and I ever handled the ball. I know I did. So, so let's start. Uh, Dudley Shrimp, Chris Dudley, uh, let's start with you, Chris. You're a, you're a senior vice president and a CFP at Congress Wealth Management, a $2 billion-plus RIA uh, based out of Boston. I know you're, uh, you split time between Oregon and California. A little bit of your career. You're drafted in 1987 in the NBA. Uh, you played 16 seasons, which is just unheard of these days. Uh, uh, or even back then, it was unheard of. Uh, I think the average uh, tenure of, a, of an NBA player is around five years. So the fact that you played 16 is amazing. 886 games you played with the Cavs, the, the Nets, New Jersey Nets at the time, uh, Trailblazers, the Knicks, uh, you went to the finals with the Knicks in 1999. You, like me, were a, a rebounder and a shot blocker. You averaged over six rebounds a game and over a thousand block shots in your career. That's that's amazing. 
and I think it's cool that you played with against and guarded some of the some of the uh, best centers of all time in the NBA. Guys like David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, and Hakeem Olajuwon. I know you practiced every day with Patrick Ewan, and I I don't know. I think you overlap with Jabbar as well, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, amazing. You you've uh, you've transitioned to wealth management. We'll talk about that, but you've also done some wonderful things on the philanthropic side as debt has done you started a foundation uh for the uh, bettering the lives of diabetic children uh you run a basketball camp for children with diabetes and you also found time to run for governor of oregon in 2010 so uh that's pretty awesome and we have a couple things in common too chris i don't know if you know this uh we both were recruited by and i think we both applied for yale that's where the similarities stop. You got in. I did it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're both centers. We banged around a lot. And uh, you hail from, I think, San Diego. You went to Torrey Pines High School, where my daughters went to school, and they produced some legendary uh, sports heroes over time. Debt, let me move to you. Uh, you're, you're the Senior Director of Business Development at Coldstream Capital, which is a $4 billion RAA in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, you're born and raised in Germany. And, uh, but you went to high school and college uh, in the state of Washington. You played for UW, I know that. And you were the eighth overall pick in the 1985 NBA draft. The first European player, uh, born player, I should say, in the NBA, which is, is, is amazing when you think about nowadays, every NBA roster has at least one European or, or foreign born player. Uh, but you were the first in the NBA, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, you, you also played for 16 seasons uh, with the Pacers, the Sonics, the Trailblazers. Uh, I think this is cool. You represented Germany uh, in the Olympics, I think, twice in, in the 1992 Olympics. You played against the Dream Team, the famous USA Dream Team with the likes of Jordan and Stockton and Magic Johnson. You made it to the, the, the finals in 96 with the, the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, you're a three-time All-Star and you average 14 points a game. You also very philanthropic, working with the Debtless Shrimp Foundation. You started that for children's charities in the Pacific Northwest. And I think this one's cool. You're also uh, uh, a TV star, uh, right, yeah. Def? Uh, uh, yeah, you didn't want me to bring that up, I know. But uh, you, you were on Married with Children, Parks and Recreation, 30 Rock. So you've been on TV. I think you've been typecast for comedy shows, I guess. So action and adventure is out of the question. We won't see you doing any uh, Predator movies or anything like that, it sounds like. Uh, and what we have in common, Dad, is that we both played in the Pac-10, uh, which is now called the Pac-12, as most people know. Uh, we both were on the court at the same time with this gentleman named Gary Payton. Uh, I played against him. You played with him. And uh, I think if, if there was a stat of trash talking per minute uh, in college and the NBA, I'm, I'm sure uh, Gary would win hands down in that category. And your partner in business was my business partner and colleague 30 years ago, which is quite amazing how, how small this world is. So welcome, gentlemen. I know that was a long intro, but, uh, but uh, you guys deserve it. You've both achieved a lot in your sports careers. And now we're going to talk about wealth management as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's let's start at the beginning and, and talk about how you you know got into basketball and, and then into pro sports. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't stand basketball. 
Uh, I got to be a freshman in high school, and uh, at the age of 14, my 6'10 body was saying, dude, you, you might want to at least try this sport. And so at, at what age did you guys set your sights on becoming a competitive basketball player? And, you know, when did you have dreams of, uh, if you had dreams, of getting into the, into the NBA? Oh, yeah. So I... I moved from Philadelphia to San Diego in sixth grade. I was a big 76er, big Dr. J fan. Uh, this was, uh, what, about 77, I think I moved. And I, so I loved the sport. Wasn't great at it. I was, uh, I was a late bloomer. I was super skinny. I grew late, played JV uh, sophomore year. Uh, actually, actually, junior year as well. And really bloomed. Uh, you know, senior had a great breakout year, senior year, and then went on to play in college. So to answer your question, I was, I, it was my dream. I didn't really share it, but my dream was to play in the NBA. Um, and, you know, I did have the big setback. Uh, I don't talked about this a little bit with the foundation of getting type one diabetes when I was a sophomore in high school. So that was a, and there was nobody in the NBA with, uh, I was the first player in the NBA with uh, type one diabetes. So there was a lot of things kind of going against it, but but secretly or uh, whatever, I might, I was driven to, uh, to want to play and I just loved the sport. And unlike, I was tall, but I wasn't excessively tall where it was like, you've got to play. It was more, it was, I chose it first. And I think that's sometimes helpful when you're able to choose basketball versus it kind of getting pushed into it. Um, uh, so I absolutely love the sport and uh, it was my passion. That's great. I mean, I, I didn't know that about diabetes. And that's, uh, I mean, among the many challenges of just getting into the NBA, and the, the, the low percentages of people that actually make it to the NBA, throwing in yet another challenge that you, you face, that, that's pretty cool. Dad, you grew up in Germany, and I, I don't know how many kids in Germany dream of being in the NBA, but, you know, what was your experience like? started playing soccer like everyone in Europe and definitely in Germany as you know as soon as you can walk you kick a soccer ball so I didn't really get introduced to basketball until I was about 13 years old I was fortunate that at that time I switched to a school and my PE teacher was a guy that played with Bill Walton at UCLA so in PE class he started having us do basketball and we are like, you know, what the heck is this thing? You know, you know, throwing a ball into this, this hoop up there. And, um, you know, and, and I started growing at that time. I was lanky, uh, late bloomer. And uh, I, I was hooked. Literally six months later, I joined a club team. I was on the third youth team. <clears throat> you know, within two months, I was starting on the first team. And, uh, you know, two years later, I basically said, well, I'm, I'm going to the U.S. to see what's over there. And so I, I literally got hooked on it. I had a great passion for it, but didn't really think the NBA was that, my goal at that point. Uh, probably not until I was in college. You know, I thought, you know, second year in college, I go, well, you know, if I continue on this path, I can probably play in the NBA. Uh, so it, it took a while. It was kind of step by step. So you guys made, you make it to the NBA and uh, whether that was your dream or not, you're there, you're competing. I mean, you're, you're playing with guys. I mentioned Patrick Ewing with you, Chris. Uh, uh, Dad, I'm sure you played against them. But guys like Peyton and Sean Kemp and one of my favorite players of all time, Chris, you play with Drazen Petrovic, uh, who tragically passed away real early. But tell us about the NBA a little bit, you know, and, and what you found most enjoyable about playing in the league. Well, uh, I've stayed the same order. I'll, I'll lead off. It's, 
you know, I came in as a, uh, wasn't guaranteed to make it. I was a later draft pick, uh, fourth round. They had four rounds back there. So it was a long shot to make it. And I made the team and then uh, uh, was able to kind of find my niche, which you mentioned earlier, which was uh, defense, rebounding, blocking shots, uh, doing all the dirty work, that sort of thing. And found that I was going to uh, be able to stick. And and with the diabetes, it was I wasn't super upfront about that. At that time, that was a big question mark. Could you play in the NBA with having diabetes? And I didn't really become outspoken about my diabetes till probably about my third year when I played in the, uh, all 82 games, uh, started in games and, you know, played minutes and showed that that wasn't going to be an issue. As far as being in the NBA, and I think what, what really, uh, obviously, as Det said, we, you know, we both love the game, absolutely have a passion for the game, but then it's the competition. It's being able to play night in, night out against uh, against the best in the world. Every night there was somebody you were facing, whether, as you said, Patrick Ewing, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, uh, Carl Malone, uh, David Robinson, just on and on. Kakim Olajuwon, every night uh, you're battling, battling somebody. And so I think it's that competitiveness and then the camaraderie. There's nothing like being on a team. And you form those friendships and, and uh, you go into battle every night with those guys. And, and to me, it was a, it, it was a dream. You know, I, I just, it is amazing. You throw out, you know, these names and, you know, for people that don't follow basketball, but I mean, these are all top 50 players ever in basketball, the names that you just throw out and you're, you're banging up against them every night. I know back then the NBA was a lot, I'm going to say dirtier, but a lot rougher uh players could get away with more you know deadlift was out running around the the perimeter as we were down there banging away that, that um, was tough that was tough don't be fooled he's, he's no i know tough. i know he mixed it up but he got to yeah. face the basket sometimes yeah. and so it, it's it, it's you know it's amazing again that you know 16 years that you play in a league with all that pounding away it, it wears off it wears on you a little bit um, that would you find most, uh, most enjoyable about playing the NBA? Well, you know, first of all, like I told you, I, I was addicted at an early age and, uh, it's the best game in the world. If I could still play, I would play every day today, because to me, it's just one of those things that I truly enjoyed. Uh, every day was different. Every game was different. Every practice was different. Every move was different. You know, when you, when you have that passion for it, I think everything comes easy, but it is a challenge. You know, I was... I was obviously at a, um, you know, got drafted high first round. I was an All-American in college, and I went to a, a pretty good team that had All-Stars playing in my position. And the backups ended up being All-Stars later on. You know, like the small forward position was Mark McGuire, was averaging like 26 points a game. And his backup was Dale Ellis, who finally got traded. And then he averaged 26 points a game for the Sonics. You know, yeah, great so shooter. Yeah. it was really hard to, to, you know, to check your ego because I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm an All-American, you know, I'm going to come in and play. And then it, it took me a little, you know, three years to kind of break through. And eventually I, I had that success. But, you know, going through the ups and downs of, of the NBA life is, or even just a game, you know, hitting that game winner or missing the game winner is not something you can duplicate in regular life. And, and I think just that emotion of it and celebrating with your teammates and sitting in a locker room and you know, losing a playoff game as you're down as can be, but you know, it's stuff that you can't really do anywhere else. And uh, those moments were special. And you know, talking about now, like you mentioned Gary Payton, 
sitting around now when I go to Vegas, we go have dinner and he's still talking crap, you know, and, and it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> right? it's, it's the stuff you always remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, first of all, I think there might be a headline in uh, the German uh, national newspaper tomorrow that says, uh, Dad Tramp says basketball is the greatest sport in the world. So uh, there, there, there could be some footballers out there that, uh, that you might get a phone call from. So just, be, right. just be aware. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, people don't realize, uh, I can't remember how many games uh, there were a season. Was it about 80 or so? Um, 82. 82. So, I mean, I mean, think about that. We all perform in our jobs every day, uh, day in and day out. We talk to prospects, we talk to clients, but gearing up and being your best uh, just about every night or it's every other night uh, is, is got to be a difficult thing to do. And, and like you said, both of you guys were superstars in high school and college and you get to the pros and you're playing alongside people that are backup scoring 26 points a game. I mean, you know, it's, the, main, the, the talent there at the next level is amazing. Uh, how, how challenging was it to accept different roles and, and to play within that team framework? And I'll start with you first, Dad. Oh, yeah, like I said earlier, it was challenging at the beginning. Um, I had a pretty bit bad attitude about it. You know, uh, as Chris can probably say and tell you, uh, I did have a little bit of a temper. And uh, it worked for me because I just kept fighting through it. But, uh, you know, eventually I did break through and, you know, and played a lot, started and you know, had, had a you know, stretch of many, many years where, you know, I played a lot and made the all-star team. But, but, you know, when you get older, you also realize it's not all about that. It's about, you know, coming together as a team, winning because, and I know Chris played on a couple bad teams where if you lose every night, it's, it's horrible. And when you win every night, uh, even if you think you should be doing more, it's a great feeling. And, um, and that's the difference between the you know good teams and the very mediocre teams in the NBA. Right. What, what was your experience, Chris? Well, uh, similar in that, I guess, in that, coming out of college, senior year, I don't know, average 19, whatever. But then you come in and you quickly realize you're not going to be the the focal point when uh, I went to Cleveland and you've got Brad Doherty, Larry Nance and Mark Price, they're going to get the, Ron Harper, they're going to get the shots. And, you know, I got great advice early on when I was trying during the summer, I was getting preparing to go to the NBA. Lorenzo Romar, who that I'm sure, you know, from UW, he played in the, uh, played in the NBA for a number of years. And he just said, be great at something. And that, that was so true. And I quickly realized that for me to, to best help my team, I needed to do what I was best at. And uh, uh, for me, that was, that was rebounding and playing D, blocking shots. And I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed rebounding. I, I, I took a lot of pleasure in it, a lot of pride in it. Um, and so I think I was able to accept that role. And I really, you quickly realize, as Dad said, the difference between winning and losing is, uh, fun, great experience versus miserable. Um, and I did, wanted to do whatever would help my team win. And at the end of the day, you, it is about winning and it makes all the difference in the world. There's nothing, uh, I would really say with one team where I just, you know, the, the, the best feeling in the world, and it might've been when you went to the, to the finals uh, debt, but when the, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts um, and that happened with that Knicks team, in 99, where we were just were clicking. Everybody accepted the role. 
Uh, everybody did what they were supposed to do. We were locked down defensively. Able to, anyway, it was a great team, great experience, made a run, made a run to the finals. And that is the best feeling in the world. I was on a New Jersey team and I was fortunate. I think I made the playoffs 14 or 15 years out of the 16. But the one year uh, I was on New Jersey was just a miserable year. And I remember walking on the team bus and, and one of the players uh, said, well, we got 73 days to go. <laughs> no, he said 73 days, 36, you know, 12 hours, 36 hours. You know, it was just that miserable where people were wanting to get out of there so bad. And it's just uh, and winning makes makes all the difference. And so you quickly realize if I can do this to help our team win, that's that's a great thing. Well, you know, I love Romar's advice. I, you know, be good at something. And, uh, you know, not everybody can be the top scorer. Uh, not everybody, even, even uh, you, I'm sure you see the same characteristics in, in your business today. Not everybody can be the person that, uh, you know, brings in the business, that manages the business, that uh, is the best service person. Everyone's got to play a role and they got to play, they got to be good at it in order to succeed. And, just as winning in sports was very enjoyable, winning in business uh, has has got to have around the same feeling, I would guess. You know, as you as you experience that every day with uh, with your with your colleagues. Let, let's talk a little bit about how you guys went from the MBA, long careers in the MBA, to wealth management, and why why wealth management versus other other directions you could have gone. Uh, Dad, why don't you start off and, and tell us a little bit about how you kind of came into this industry. Yeah, it, it took me a while, you know, at the end of my career, um, you know, first of all, I never really thought much about anything else but basketball for right. probably my first 10 years. It was just getting ready for the next season, getting ready for the next season. Then you have a, you know, a couple of minor injuries. You're starting to get a little older. You're sitting in the stands, you know, watching your kids play any type of sport and, you know, your friends and neighbors are talking to you saying, oh, so what are you going to do next? I mean, you're getting a little old. And I'm going, wait a minute, I'm not that old, you know. But uh, I was fortunate, you know, we live in a great community. We live in this bubble up here in, in Seattle. And my neighbors are, you know, or were Microsoft executives, Starbucks, Boeing people. And, you know, you're sitting in the bleachers with your, with your you know, watching your kids or you're having barbecues. And, and, you know, you just kind of brainstorm about, you know, what do you want to do? And, and uh, I had not thought much about it until probably I'm in my mid-30s. And then I kind of go, okay, I got to figure out something else because I'm going to have another 30 years of, you know, doing something. I'm right. sure not going to sit at home. My wife doesn't want me sitting at home. Uh, I can't sit at home and showing that as an example to my kids. Um, so I've done a lot of real estate investing. So I actually joined first while I was still playing a couple of real estate boards just to try to understand it always read books, you know, guys were playing cards or doing whatever. Uh, I read a lot of books on the planes, uh, the buses. And um, then when I got started, I literally, I was still playing for Portland my last year and I was, uh, I helped raise a venture fund, you know, became kind of that network guy, getting a foot in the door, raising money, uh, creating opportunities. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, so I, I, I got, actually got started in venture and uh, did that for about eight years and then got recruited out of that for wealth management by a firm that literally our main offices was basically 300 yards next to the house we lived oh, in, wow. you know, so 
I go by there and I grab a coffee or I have a lunch meeting and there would be Kevin saying, hey, dad. I go, hey, Kevin, you should come in and we should talk. You should work for us. So I got recruited. I didn't know anything about wealth management. And um, about a year later, I, I joined up. Yeah, that's amazing. Kevin, Kevin, the, the person that you mentioned, the guy I worked with 30 years ago is also 6'8". So there's some brotherhood going on here between all of us, I think is what, what, what's happening. Uh, Chris, tell, how'd, you, how'd you come into to wealth management? You actually work with a, a good friend of mine and a person I work with about 25 years ago, and Gerald Graves, a uh, great guy. Um, but I don't know if he, had, if he was, had any part in you getting into wealth management, but why don't you tell us your story? So when I was uh, in college, I went to Yale economics, uh, poli-sci major. I, if MBA didn't work out, I was looking to go to Wall Street. So I, I had an interest in college um, and followed it. And as Dad said, I, I, well, I did play in the card games, but I also read the book <laughs> 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 well. um, until they got too rich. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yep. anyway, um, uh, so I always knew I wanted to go on that. Either I was going to go in, in basketball, stay in basketball um, or go into the financial services. And I ended up... Um, obviously going to financial services. And I, as soon as I retired, I got my CFP because I wanted to make sure um, I wanted to be hands-on, do it myself. And I thought it was important while having a degree in economics, but also have the, 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 uh, the background, the certificate to kind of back it up. So not only can, when, as Beth says, you have those contacts, you have those networks uh, that can get you in any room, but also you want to be able to show that, you know, now that you're in the room, what do you have to say? Um, and so I was also influenced by, I saw so many bad stories along the way, like that, um, we, we, all the athletes, everybody gets pitched everything. And you saw so many bad cases, saw so many of my, uh, and debts contemporaries who, who end up, uh, going, going bankrupt or losing a lot of money and getting bad advice. And you realize there's such a value for good advice out there. And so I followed on that path, retired in Portland, got my CFP. And that's when, when I decided I wanted to look at where I was going to, uh, where to work with. That's when I got introduced to, uh, to Gerald through a mutual friend. And, and we hit it off, shared the same philosophies, client first, holistic approach, really getting to know the client and uh, went from there. And I've worked with Gerald uh, uh, since then. I think I started with him in 05. So that, that's great, Chris. I appreciate you telling me that. And you know what? I, I go back to what I was talking about earlier in the introduction is that, you know, people have come from different professions into our industry and, and been wildly successful. Debt, what do you think it was that, you know, Kevin and, and some of the partners over there at Coldstream saw in you? Because uh, you didn't have that wealth management experience, but they saw something in you that, uh, that you could bring to the table. What do you think that was? Well, one, I think it was uh, brand, um, you know, I have a pretty good brand in the Northwest and uh, Coldstream when I joined, we, you know, we were an $800 million company. And, uh, you know, when I first started and I didn't really know much about the business, but I would tell people, Hey, I'm with Coldstream. They go, what? Cold cream, cold stone, what, <laughs> you know, because there, so there was a branding issue and they realized that, you know, I could really help with branding uh, and, and help get our name across, you know, different networks and obviously I had a great network you know from not just neighbors but from all the charity work I did for 25 years right uh, great sponsors 
I had great connections. I was working with major companies from, uh, you know, Microsoft to F5 networks, you name it. And so, you know, I was playing with, you know, Steve Ballmer, you know, CEO of Microsoft, playing golf with him, stuff like this. So I had a great network and that obviously helps. But um, yeah, for me, it was just, um, they wanted, you know, they wanted someone um, to be part of the company that, that can obviously help grow the company, but also brought a pretty good brand to the table. So speaking of that, how, I know, Chris, I'm sure you've got a great network of relationships and contacts as well uh, through your career, your basketball career, but also through the philanthropic work that you're doing. How do you, how do you best use and, and leverage those, that network without abusing it? Because I, I, I know that's a balance that you, you have to strike sometimes. If you're sitting there playing on, you're on the eighth hole with still Steve Ballmer, you don't want to just say, hey, Steve, uh, who's managed your money, by the way? Um, or maybe you did, Dad. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but Chris, why don't you st- start out? I mean, how do you how do you not abuse that network of that you've built over the years? Well, I I think it's uh, just if they're friends, by the idea you're helping them. And so I've I've always if if I'm going to bring it up with somebody, um, I'm gonna take it from the point I'm trying to trying to help. And if you want that help great if you don't that's fine too but i'm at least pointing in the right direction whether you work with me or work with somebody else i want to at least give you advice so you're doing it doing it the right way um and so i think it's pretty easy if you have it from that perspective where you're not going to them to get something from them you're actually going to them to give them something right and if you have that attitude then it's not a it's not a hard conversation especially if you really you know it's like no pressure. If you want to work great, well, either way, you know, but, uh, but here's, and I think, you know, when you ask about debt, debt successful, in my opinion, because of his network, but also because he has a reputation caring about people and doing his homework and, and those sort of things. And the same thing, if you, if you come from a good place of really wanting to, to, to help people in, in their situation, help them in life, it, it's, it's an easy conversation. I think that's a difference maker with you guys. Honestly, uh, there's plenty of plenty of former athletes out there that have big networks and they know a lot of people, uh, but they're not necessarily seen as uh, as someone that can that that can be helpful and and has that personality and that uh, that kind of foundation to to want to help somebody. And uh, especially in as as you mentioned earlier in professional sports, I mean, I know a lot of advisors out there would love to manage the money of, of a professional athlete, uh, especially with the contracts uh, these days. But I also know there's some, there's some things that go on with a professional athlete that might make that a difficult client. Uh, what would you say to advisors out there who are, try, who are prospecting find, uh, you know, uh, professional athletes and, and, and you know, is that a good client or not? Uh, Dad, why don't you start off? Well, I think they can definitely be, be good clients. Um, it, it is a little bit of a same and similar approach to a business person because they're like their own CEO of their business. But to me, it's like, you know, um, what we do is kind of like a reflection of charitable work in my ways. It's, you know, what I enjoy doing over the years is, you know, contributing to the community, helping people out in need. Now we're a little bit of a different stage with people that maybe have a different need. They don't, you know, they're not financially insecure. They're not homeless, 
that we have the chance to help them, you know, reach those goals so they can have a positive impact on their community. And that's why I always try to talk to pro athletes about or coaches about, you know, what's ultimately your goals. I mean, is it all about, you know, how your brand is doing on social media and Instagram and how much money you're making? Uh, or is it, you know, what are your long-term plans for you, your family, and your kids? And that oftentimes gets pushed in the back because, you know, as you know, we all gone through stages in life where first it was all about succeeding, you know, hey, I got to make it, I, you know, as a player, I got to make it, I get more playing time, I get more shots, I got to get a new contract, and I got to buy the bigger house, I got to get a bigger car. And I think, you know, Chris and I had a stage in life where, you know, we've done some of that and we don't really have that pressure. So, you know, we're not, we're not pushy with people. And I, I, I work with some pro athletes and I'm never pushy. I'm kind of going, Hey, here to help, but it's got to come from you. I definitely don't want to work through the layers of agents and hanger honors and uh, family members that don't have the best interest in mind. So it's always a discussion, but a lot, you know, as Chris knows, the agents, they got a pretty good grip on, on the athlete. So uh, oftentimes it depends on, is the agent a good person or not? And is that person actually, you know, wants to do what's best for the athlete. Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, on managing or, 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 you know, if you were talking to an advisor right now about approaching a, a professional athlete? Well, I mean, I think it's it's a great. Uh, I love my the clients I have that are pro athletes or were pro athletes. I, I love it's a great situation. You can do so much. Athletes really need it more. Well, as much or more than anyone, in that there is no other career like it, uh, that of a professional athlete, where a professional athletes can earn. A lot of times you could say up to 95% of their lifetime earnings are going to, they're, they're going to have those by the time they retire, but mid thirties, if they're lucky, uh, late twenties is probably more likely. And they have to, they get all that money on the front end and have to be able to live off that for the rest of their life. Where more common is people make money as they get older and rise up through their company. And they've already had those, those lessons along the way. Uh, unfortunately for athletes, sometimes those lessons can be devastating. If, uh, you know, what you do in the early twenties and lose that money, you can never recoup it. So it's so valuable and it's, it's, it's a pleasure. I've really enjoyed working with them as far as getting into the business. It can be, it can be brutal because now that the money's gone up, everybody's chasing them. And it's, I, I get, you know, I would tell you, uh, uh, my best friend, uh, was my agent and he's, he's unfortunately passed away, but, uh, we would talk about it. And when it's, it got where money firms were recruiting kids out of high school, giving them money in high school to join them when they came in. And that was something I never, you know, it's like, I'm not, not getting involved with that. Right. And as that, that said, you, you need to work with somebody who has a good agent who's really got his, uh, athletes best interests in, in mind but as for someone who comes in and doesn't have any uh connection it can be it can be a very tough uh unfortunately uh, a brutal business uh where it's not always as ethical as it should be i found and i'm sure that say the same thing that the athletes usually when they're when they when they've gone through a couple of lessons and they realize that guy who was giving them money in high school or giving them money in college probably wasn't the best person for them. And now they're looking for some advice. That's usually the client that's uh, 
more readily access, ready to accept the advice and, and take advantage of the uh, take advantage of the advice. Yeah, but, but it can be tough. I mean, because everybody said, "Oh yeah, I want to work with all these." Uh, you know, it's just like being an agent in the world. It's a it's a it's a tough business. Yeah, and it's it probably uh, you know not just managing wealth, but helping them save their wealth, right? And uh, yeah. because they, you know, eighteen year olds getting twenty million dollar contracts, they're they're not accustomed to that wealth. Uh, there's a lot of influences that all of a sudden come out of the woodwork. And uh, as a wealth advisor, you're not just dealing with the the athlete; you're dealing with all those influences as well. But you got you guys are in the business of uh, really changing lives. I mean, uh, I know all the advisors I've worked with in my career uh, can point back to situations where they've they've just you know they've taken a family or an individual from nothing and built up wealth, and now they're enjoying retirement, and that's deep satisfaction. But can you guys give me? an example of a, a feel good moment where, you know, you guys went home and just fist bumped your wife or your kids and where you said you made a difference in, in a, in a client's life. Uh, uh, Chris, why don't you start out? Uh, you know, I think there's a couple, yeah, a couple examples. I think one with professional athlete was one where after he retired, he's got four kids. He, we kind of went through the meeting. They're, they're, they're all set. They've, 529 plans, fully loaded, set for college. They've paid off their home. They've got a second, you know, they're set for life. And just, uh, he just thanked me and his wife thanked me and just said, thank you for, for setting this up. And that, it just feels good. It felt good to get recognized and, and, and to really have, um, and this was not a player who was at the top, top level, maybe he was a good player, played, played for a number of years, but to, to know they set him up where he was going to be able to take care of his family um, for the rest of his life, uh, that, that was, a, a, you know, that, that felt real good. And I think I did talk to my wife. I don't know if I fist bumped her, but I definitely <laughs> told her how food, you know, that's, that's, that's the reward of being in the business. Well, high fives were more fashionable <laughs> in our days than a fist bump. We didn't, we didn't know what that was back then. Now we're not fist bumping or high fiving with uh, COVID, but uh, so Dad, uh, I know you you've probably had some great experiences, but can you share one? Um, yeah, I think there are many, right? Uh, I, I wouldn't, I would, I don't think I compare them to that big moment playing basketball, right, where you get so excited emotionally. But it's more, it, it, it lasts longer because, uh, and, and you know, we all we're all human beings. We all like Chris said, we all appreciate a pat on the back. So it's. It's that message you get when, when somebody, a family, a client, a couple, you know, gives you that, you know what, this feels really good. We feel safe. We feel, you know, stress is gone. Uh, and that's ultimately what we do, right? We're trying to make sure people live a happy, fulfilling life and they're healthy. Uh, and it's not always about the dollar amount. Um, but yeah, I, we just recently had a clients to a, a couple that actually we just signed on and they're all on board, right? I mean, they literally brought in every document they could over a weekend. They uploaded everything they had, in which, you know, as you know, sometimes I can take months, right? Wait right. a minute, you still have so and so. Can you get that to us? Oh, yeah, tomorrow. Literally over a weekend, everything they had from all their retirement plans to, to um, stock option plans to insurance documents to an old estate plan that needed to be everything. And it was like, and then on Monday, they're going, okay, what are we doing now? You know, we're going, 
And then, you know, we had a meeting set up all week. They were going to the in Aruba now. They literally left. Uh, they're going to spend three months in Aruba because all the kids out of the house and they're working from there. And they were ready to go. And so we had meetings set up all week long with, you know, planner, state planner, tax planning, stock option planning, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the week, they sent a long email going, here we are sitting in the sunset and we were really worried about if we should leave, if we can. And just starting this plan makes us feel so good, right? And, and then, you know, again, you like a pat on the back. And so you're doing the right thing. And, uh, and those things is, I think that's why we're all in the business. Uh, that's just got to feel amazing. I mean, no matter where you are, when you get that email, it's just got to feel so satisfying to know that uh, you've, you've made that difference. And I, I know a lot of our listeners, you know, come across that all the time, but it's, you know, you never can get enough of that, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, well, how, what do you guys think about the future of, of the advice industry? I mean, are you, are you, are you, challenged by some of the things you see out there with some of these robos and Betterment and Robin Hood. I mean, do you think there's still going to be people who want our advice 10 years from now and want to sit across from us and, and, and listen to somebody versus get advice over uh, some sort of digital means? That? It's a good, good point, especially, you know, we live in a market that's very heavy in tech. So, you know, everyone is kind of talking about that or, you know, Robin Hood just opening uh, a big office here in the Seattle area. So it definitely we, we, we hear that. I don't, I don't think you can compare the services, you know, and like you, like, you know, when the markets are going well, and people are saying, hey, my 401k is invested in index strategies and it's doing really well. Why would I pay someone to do that? But when the market is, you know, has some hiccups and is struggling and uh, then all of a sudden the people that, that, that you know, said they didn't need advice that come because they're freaking out going, I'm down 25%, what did I do? Uh, so with us, it's, it's, you know, that comprehensive approach, you know, who's, who's managing all these other components, your estate planning, tax planning, uh, risk planning, and figuring out, you know, how are you going to live your life and, and what do you want to do on the philanthropic side? And I don't think you can ever replace that with some app on your phone. I agree. I agree. But I'm biased. Uh, <laughs> and if you can accomplish it in, in the heart of, you know, Microsoft, and all the all the technology providers up there that you know you and Coldstream are doing a pretty good job. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts? It's uh, just to echo what that said. I, I think the advice, especially the holistic advice across the board, will always be valuable. And coordinating the estate plan to tax preparation to the investments, just lining up and really sitting down with the client. And what are, what are your goals in life? What are your objectives? Why do you have this money? What are, you, what are you trying to accomplish with it? And then mapping out why it is that you're invested in what you're invested in. And then it's you under, when the client understands that, listen, the money that uh, I have in the stock market is actually isn't for next year. It's, it's for 10, 15, 20 years from now. Then the, the fact that the market went down is not, not that big a deal if they understand that. And, and that's, that's the... Uh, to me, that's a big part of uh, it's it's the returns, but it's also the, you know, we all are want the best returns possible, but it's really the making sure that the client's invested in the, in the right things to achieve those goals. And once they do that, once they realize that their their benchmark isn't uh, necessarily the S and P or whatever, it, it is. It's are you on track to achieve your goals? 
can you sweep at night? You know, to me, a client's doing well when he when he no longer is watching CNBC and uh, calling up if the market's down. You know, and it's just like, no, I've got this. I'm 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 set. And hey hey well, hey, should I buy some GameStop? <laughs> I've been saying that exactly, exactly. So I you know I mean I think in the GameStop uh, you know the uh, Robinhood and that's fine. And I think, you know, I'll talk to clients, Hey, have a, you know, that there's, I don't mind if you, which put some money on the side, if you want to do something, you know, we can do some things and have some fun with, but just understand that's different than what we're setting you up for, for, for long-term. Um, but, but anyway. Well, you know, you mentioned two words, holistic and long-term. Um, yeah. I, I, when I think of Robin hood, uh, or think about people invest in GameStop, no, those two words definitely don't come to mind. Uh, but certainly in financial advice, that's what we do. <clears throat> we provide holistic advice. It's for the long term. And, uh, and I personally don't. I think I agree with you guys. Our business is, is not going to be threatened by these things anytime in the near future. I want to get to my last question. I'm going to come back to basketball again. Uh, you guys are picking the ultimate team, players from your era or today's pros. Uh, who are your starting five? And importantly, who gets the ball for the last second shot? So, Chris, I'm going to start out with you. Oh, wow. So all time, you, my era or today's era? All, all time. You can, you can pick whoever you want, you know. It doesn't matter. Wow. Uh, well, Michael. Leading off with Michael. LeBron. Uh, center's a little tougher. Uh, Shaq or Akeem. Probably go Akeem, actually. Hmm. Point guard, probably go Magic. Got to have Bird in there. You know, yeah, I could go on and on, but uh, that, that, that's a pretty amazing, amazing team there. So, yeah. who gets the last shot on that team? I mean, I think I think Bird and Jordan would argue for this one, but who they do you would argue? Uh, that's a tough call. <laughs> you know, that's a good choice to have. You know, I to me to me, I still in the who's the best greatest. Uh, I still go with Michael. Yeah. So yeah. I probably uh, give it to him. Um, Anyway. Yeah, Magic would just say he would want to pass it to whoever that person is. Yes. Uh, yeah. What about you, Det? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, we I started playing when Bird was still playing, when Jabal was still playing, uh, you know, at the end of their careers. And I, I uh, you know, I left when Kobe started out and LeBron was coming in. So, you know, it's hard to compare different eras. But I tell, I, I tell you, I take a Shaquille O'Neal in shape, yes. in shape, which wasn't very often, <laughs> but I take Shaquille O'Neal in shape over anybody in the world. Uh, when he wanted to, nobody could guard him. Bird, obviously, uh, incredible. You got to put LeBron in there because he is, you know, in the talk of is he a goat or whatever that discussion is nowadays. Everyone is right, a goat. Right. Uh, Jordan, for sure. Point guard. Yeah, I loved. I love magic. I would have loved to play with magic. Just run the lane and get it right in your numbers. <laughs> Who would take the last shot? Oh boy. I think I would bring Damian Lillard off the bench and let him shoot <laughs> from anywhere. So. <laughs> he's deadly. <laughs> All right. He's certainly, he's certainly made some, some big shots in his, in his career. And you also have the Northwest bias going there, I think with Damian. So <laughs> I get it. I can't believe there's no shout out for, uh, for your, for your German brother there, Dirk Nowitzki, but uh, you know, maybe he won't be listening to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> He's hanging out in Sweden. <laughs> uh, well, Hey guys, uh, you definitely held my attention today. I think you held our listeners as well. I'm grateful you took the time 
to be on my podcast. Uh, certainly best of luck to both of you. Keep making a difference in people's lives, whether they're athletes or not. Uh, certainly in your communities with your philanthropic endeavors, you should be commended on that. Uh, you know, stay safe, stay happy, and thanks for joining me. Thank, thank you, you Derek. Uh, and thank you all for listening today. You can subscribe to the Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day and stay safe, everyone.